My name is Cece, and this is a story about abuse, motherhood, and learning to break free. This is not my story. This is a story I will tell in my mother's words. This is part two of reading my late mother's handwritten composition notebooks, which outline her story of domestic abuse. Um, These notebooks would be used to inspire her dissertation research on emotional abuse to receive her PhD in psychotherapy. These notebooks detail my mother's relationship with my biological father. And we learned in the last episode this writing was started only five months after her divorce was finalized. I want to thank you for continuing to listen to her story. And here we go. Part two. When I went to my therapist, stop, in all caps, she writes. This is all such a long story. I feel like I'm all over the road with it. I have so much to say, and I want to share what I've learned immediately all at once so that I can help others in similar situations. We need to make this more public. I'll try to be more linear, except that whenever I think of a place to start, there was always something prior to that. How about the very beginning, when I met him? I was vulnerable. I had just left my first marriage, a marriage that I left because I discovered that my first husband was cheating on me. I had two very small children, four and one. I have moved back to the city where my parents were staying. They had agreed to let me stay with them until I could get a job. I remember being so depressed that I literally couldn't pick up a pen to fill out an application, but I didn't go to a psychiatrist, although I did go to a divorce group which helped me with accepting my divorce situation, but did not help me with myself. That is when I met my abuser, or perhaps I should say, when he found me. He was handsome, several years younger than I was, charming, sexy, very attentive to me and my children. He was very romantic, the best dancer that I had ever met. I remember saying to others that I fell in love with him on the dance floor. I have loved dancing all my life, and I was always the best dancer of any group. Having taken lessons and being an artist and a gymnast, I loved creativity and movement of the body. Anyway, he literally swept me off my feet on the dance floor and carried me off in his arms. He was fun and funny, and I found myself always laughing with him. He was exactly what I needed and what I thought I wanted at the time. His carefree attitude towards life complemented my own serious state. I see now that I needed some of what he was in order to regain balance in my life. I sought externally what I needed internally. He also didn't care that I had two small children. I also had what he needed. Money, a very close, upper-middle-class Catholic family, education, a profession, intelligence, beautiful looks, and a forgiving nature. I had been very sheltered all my life growing up in a small town in the Bible Belt in a small Catholic college preparatory school, and I never saw my parents fight. My first husband, nor any other man, had ever physically mistreated me before, so I'd had no training, was totally naive and ill-equipped for what was to follow. At first, all was well. He was the man of my dreams. Everyone seemed to love him except for my parents. He had a large circle of friends and was very popular. He knew no strangers and got along amazingly well with people of all ages. Later, I was to discover that this was his chameleon self, his many masks to the world. He was many different people, all of them caring, charming, and fun-loving, none of them his true exposed inner self. 
Life was so different with him, his upbringing my opposite. He told me stories of his past. He talked in stories. I remember commenting often that he didn't speak in sentences, but rather in stories. I didn't know at the time that all he spoke was embellished and many totally fabricated stories. How was I to know what from his past was true and what was false? Though we were not born and reared in the same city, I could say that he grew up on the other side of town, a life new and different and very exciting to me. As sheltered and protected as I was, he was exposed and raw, coming from a verbal and physically abusive family situation. He had carried a gun all his life, which was needed for protection on the rough side of town. He showed me a world that I knew existed but had never really thought about. Being with him made me feel alive and excited, far from the depths of the depression in which he had found me. We moved in together after several months. I had gotten a split shift position which paid well, and he would stay with the kids while I was at work and then bartend at night. We were spending so much time together that he used his own apartment very little. When he told me he was going to move in with this guy to cut expenses, since he rarely used his apartment, I invited him to move in with me instead and save all his money on rent. Looking back, I think I was manipulated into believing it was my idea, though I'm not really clear on that part. Perhaps I'm projecting the manipulation into that situation since then he manipulated so many other situations subsequently. All was well. Life seemed good. He actually encouraged me to date and continue going out with my sister. But when I actually took him up on this offer, the story changed. One weekend, he said he was going out with his friends, so I went dancing with my sister and her friends. While out, I met someone who lived at my complex. The two of us decided to go to another club, and then he drove me home. We drove into an ambush. My partner was waiting in his car for me to arrive. When he came up to the window, he pulled a gun and told the guy thanks for bringing me home and to stay away from me in the future. I told him the gun was unnecessary and uncalled for. After we went into the apartment, he accused me of sleeping with this other man and said he was moving out. Looking back, yes, I should have let him go, but I felt bad for hurting his feelings after he had been so good to me and for me. And I apologized, and he stayed, but not without going on a long time about how much he loved me and how wrongly I had treated him. He was sad, not mad. The gun part didn't really bother me, as I knew that that was the way it was with him. He hadn't lost it, he was just handling things the way he always handled things. It should have scared me to death, and I'm annoyed that it didn't. Here's a point to consider. Neither this incident nor any other incident took place is in isolation, nor without emotion. Emotion is so unreasonable and so strong a force that it will be listened to and considered. Here was the man of my dreams who had brought me back to life and revived my self-esteem. He seemed to really care about me and the kids and would do anything for us. He was right. I felt, not thought, how could I treat him this way? I didn't want to end our relationship. I was getting so much out of it. This was the first incident that I witnessed that should have made me turn and run. It was the first of many that would serve to secure me to the relationship with an intense traumatic bond. I think it's important to say at this point that I had fallen in love with him, though I never intended on getting married ever again. I say fallen in love, but the first meeting of our eyes made me believe in love at first sight. All the other qualities were reinforcement thereof. As I fell deeper in love with him, I realized that I had never loved a man like this, and the intensity was such that I suggest I will never love a man like that again. I don't want to, actually, at least not any time in the foreseeable future. 
I've been too deeply wounded, too betrayed, and I don't care to divert my energy nor subdivide it with my children and my work. As I have experienced, read, and heard, beware what feels like love at first sight in a relationship that progresses way too fast, too intense, too quickly, where you feel disoriented or spinning, and one in which you feel you have no solid hold. It feels out of your control or elusive, but you can't put your finger on what it is. I felt off balance for years and out of control. I was manipulated, as were my family members, though it seemed at the time that I agreed to a lot. Looking back, I've just been trying to keep the peace for as long as I can remember. He came between me and my family, and his friends became my friends. I had no separate life from his. But at the time, at first, I wanted to always be with him. I was happiest when I was with him. I had felt so dead at the end of my first marriage, and now I felt alive, appreciated, and beautiful. And he fulfilled my needs, and I began to defend him against my family, as well as defend my own position for being in this relationship so quickly after having left the last one. My family seemed to turn more against him. He convinced me my sister was jealous and that he didn't care about my money. I could be broke and he would love me just as much. So when my parents continued to caution me, aka he just wants your money, I was defensive and chose to read into their feelings that it, I had nothing to offer. An alignment with the man I had left who had said just that. So I, we, became more and more distant and associated only with those who accepted us in our relationship, aka his friends and his family. I later learned that a chief device of brainwashing is isolation from outside influences, especially, and most importantly, if those influences conflict with the abuser's goal of gaining control of his victim's thoughts. His family, each member, told me how good I was for him. His siblings, without elaborating, agreed that he had it the worst of the four children. He was the youngest by a decade, and I later learned that his mother cheated on his father, and I made the genetic conclusion that, with, without the help of a geneticist, that he was the product of his mother's affair, which explained why he looked so different from his siblings, the only brown-eyed individual in a family of blue eyes. All this served to tap my motherly instincts. I could easily picture him as a child at the mercy of his massive and abusive father. It made my stomach turn, and I tried to hold and to heal that pitifully wounded child. My heart went out to him, and I would use this image to excuse him from any temper outbursts, then directed only at others, for reasons including my defense. My ex-husband, how could he treat me like that, and how dare he not pay child support, and how could anyone in his right mind turn his back on us? He obviously had no idea what he had lost. I thought that I identified the reasons for his outburst, and I condoned his anger. The second incident came when we went to World's Fair in New Orleans. Just the two of us and my 280ZX. We went to the fair and everything was great. The problem arose when I did not agree to go down to Bourbon Street at night because I had lived in Metairie, a parish adjacent to New Orleans. And I knew that it was what I thought it to be, a sleazy area with sex shows. He persisted and I resisted, and we compromised by agreeing to go so that he could get a feel for what the area was like. But if I was uncomfortable, we would leave. Though I felt uncomfortable being in the area, I walked with him. But I didn't care to look at or inside any of the clubs. When I said I was ready to leave, that we had gotten the flavor of the area, 
he was apparently so upset at not having been able to talk me into going into one of the clubs, and when we arrived back at the car, not speaking, he got into the driver's side and drove off, leaving me standing somewhere in the French Quarter. Fortunately, I had money for a cab back to the hotel. Of course, he blamed it on the alcohol and being very tired and that he thought it was better that he left with me. He was too angry, so it was in essence for my own good. But he was sorry and really horrified that he had done such a thing, chastising himself and begged for my forgiveness. I should have left the relationship then. The thing is, the entire rest of that trip was amazing. Romantic, fun, a real break, just what I needed. And the fight hadn't been that bad or lasted that long. He just left me there and he was so sorry. I, being optimistic and forgiving and not wanting to spoil the rest of the trip, forgave him. And once again, all was great. A question that many people have asked me and a question that I have asked myself is, why did I stay? The reasons are numerous. The first answer that always comes to my mind when asked was, because I loved him. I know it probably sounds sick and twisted, but the abusive aspect of him constituted only a small part of the relationship at first. At first, in fact, he was totally charming, a perfect gentleman, and he swept me off my feet. I had just divorced my first husband, so I was very needy, I'm sure. After I met my second husband, I could honestly say that I believed in love at first sight. He was gorgeous, outgoing, very adventurous sexually. Ew. He was, I could now say, a party in a can. Whenever I was with him, life was a party on the outside. Little did I know that he tried so hard to be a party on the outside because his life on the inside was pure hell. When I did find out, I was furious with his father. I visualized my husband as a little boy being abused by his father and his mother allowing it, and that vision made me love him even more. I wanted to hold that little boy in him and protect him as his mother had not. I wanted to stand up for him against his father. I wanted to keep him safe. I did know that the tendency to pass on abuse was high, so I thought that I was prepared to stop it at this generation. But at first, the need didn't arise. He was good to my children, playing with them as if he was one of them, a child himself. This was endearing to me also, and I think I saw him enjoying the children and their childhood, the one that he never knew. I did love him. At some level, I still do. I always wanted to help him, to help him heal, to help him reverse the pain he felt as a child. But the truth is that he wouldn't let me. He didn't care to reopen that part of himself, the terrified little boy who had been obliterated, wiped out, killed by humiliation and fear and rejection. The little boy who had been told he was nothing, would never be anything except a piece of shit. He was told he was worthless, that his father wished he'd never been born, and so inside he killed that little boy. The son of the father who wished his non-existence. How can anyone not feel sorry for a little boy like that? Who would not want to hold this little boy and tell him that he was good, he was something, he was loved, and that his father was wrong, so very wrong? I wanted to make it okay for that little boy and for the man that I felt in love with. I tried very hard to do so. And so, as he opened up a bit to me, revealing his grim childhood, he also showed a bit more of his true self, the angry child, the angry man who had never been able to stand up to his father, who never acted angry toward his father, nor even discussed the past with him. Unwilling to place the anger and violent outbursts where they belonged with his father, Outbursts began showing up in our relationship instead. Jealousy was the excuse. He just loved me so much, needed me so much, didn't want to lose me. And he was always sorry and always made it up to me. 
Those makeup times were so wonderful. We seemed to be connected at the deepest spiritual level, a deepness to the bonding that could put it into the category of traumatic bonding. That is what appeared immediately after we were married. Trauma. I shouldn't have married him at all. I made a bad choice. I accepted his proposal. It was about the 20th time he had asked. We had been living together almost five years. My oldest daughter was nine, and my son was six. The kids thought of him as dad, though they called him by his first name. Their biological dad never even wrote nor phoned. I had taken them away from one dad. I didn't want to do it again. Though we had lived together as a married couple, parenting the children together, I had not wanted to remarry. But the kids were getting older and I didn't want them to be shunned at school by other kids because of something the other parents might say. That plus the fact that I wanted one more child and I wanted our love to live on no matter what happened to us as a couple. I felt that our love was the most amazing thing. I'd never loved anyone so much in this way. I had really opened my heart to him, my mind to him, my soul to him. I was seriously, deeply in love with him. So when he asked me to marry him during one of those amazing makeup periods where I felt on the verge of leaving him, but I decided I loved him too much. The kids loved him too much. There was too much to lose, too much invested, too much pain to endure if we did split. I said yes. At that point, I felt like we were always going to be together anyway, so why not make it all legal? At least my very Catholic parents would stop being humiliated that their daughter was living in sin. At least my kids wouldn't be shunned at school. I could have another child, parentheses, I was 34, before it was too late to safely do so. Good reasons, right? I thought so. I got pregnant on our honeymoon. Once again, how romantic can a couple be? We were both thrilled. My mother cried. We went house shopping and selected a beautiful home on the edge of the city, the best of both worlds, and I was riding the crest of life. One night, one of his old buddies called for us to go meet his latest girlfriend. We agreed, and I dressed to kill in my black pants and gold top. The last time I'd be able to wear that outfit, I showed my new husband as my stomach had grown too large already. I was three to four months pregnant by then. Our friend's father had a melodrama theater by the river, so that was our destination. At some point during the play, I had become nauseous and was struggling to complete the performance without asking to go home. When the play ended, I asked to go home as I wasn't feeling well. The way my husband looked at me, I knew that I was in trouble. We walked to the car silently, but after we were on the freeway, he accused me of not liking his friend's girlfriend and using my pregnancy to ruin his night. I was shocked and protested the absurdity of his accusation. To my dismay, he then called me a lying bitch and punched me in the face, cutting my lip. It's hard to say how I felt. A conglomeration of emotions flooded me all at once. More than nauseous, I felt confused and brokenhearted, scared and humiliated. I silently cried into my tissue, alternately dabbing my eyes and my lip. As he pulled onto our street, he told me to shut up and that it was my fault that our night was ruined. He grabbed my arm and yelled at me to shut up as we pulled into the driveway. As I asked through a sob for him not to hit me again, he backhanded me and yelled at me to shut up again. At that point, I began crying out loud and pleading for him not to hit me, again to no avail. He kept punching me and yelling at me to shut up, calling me names, having to do with being female. You stupid bitch, you whore, you cunt. This must have continued only a minute, though it seemed like longer. I did shut up. 
Still squeezing my arm, he said, now we're going to go inside and calmly talk about this, okay? Okay, I said yes, but when he let go of my arm, I opened the door, went inside and ran out the back door, terrified of being alone with him in the house. The children were at my sister's for the night. I successfully escaped, but I knew that I was badly hurt as my vision was blurred and I was swallowing blood. I think I actually allowed him to find me between houses with his headlights. When he saw my face, he cried, Dear God, I'm so sorry. You have to go to the hospital, please. And he looked terrified at what he had done, at what would happen to us, at what would happen to him. I don't know. I never discussed the look with him. I did let him take me to the emergency room. I told them I was pregnant. They told me the baby appeared to be fine, and since he hadn't hit me in the stomach, I felt it was true. I stayed in that room half the night. I told the nurse what had happened. My husband's story was that I had tried to jump out of the car, that I was PMSing, and that he had to hit me to keep me from jumping out of the car on the freeway. Knock some sense to me, is what he said he was trying to do. When I agreed to see him, he had phoned his sister who entered the room with him. I called him a liar and told him I never wanted to see him again or talk to him again. I went home with his sister and spent the next day with her. I told my sister and children the next afternoon that I had tripped and fallen down the stairs to prepare them for what they were about to see. That was the story I stuck with. I was shocked and depressed. Roses arrived before he did. When he did, he cried and smothered me with kisses. He went along with my story, and I think traumatic bonding made us feel closer than we'd ever felt. Both of us swearing to never fight again. It had become too dangerous. I won't go into all the incidences. They are too many and too repetitive. Know that swearing not to fight, promising never to hit me, nor be hit, is not enough. The pain lies too deep. The monster is too big to fight with pretty words. Even the best intentions. I believe he intended not to hit me again. I know I intended to leave him if he did ever hit me again. He didn't hit me again for a very long time, but there are other types of abuse that are even more crippling. Some scars don't show, but they are there. Deep and oozing infected wounds with no visible signs, they are there. So in this reading today, my mother went into little stories about some specific red flags and horrible situations she endured at the hands of my father before I was even born. It makes me so sad to think of her lying to my auntie and my siblings about falling down the stairs to protect them from the story of my father beating her, especially because I remember her lying to me as a little girl about why she was covered in bruises or why she had scabs on her face. but. She has barely even touched on the extreme emotional abuse that accompanied her marriage to my father. However, again, her optimism and hope to save and help her husband, as well as her overwhelming love for him, has not broken her down yet at this point in the story. And that leaves me with dread for the next reading, but I will say she always did insist to me that my father was the love of her life, hands down, regardless of everything. And it touched my heart to hear her say that she wanted to have a baby that would let their love live on no matter what happened to them. And she always insisted I was a child of the deepest love she ever felt. Thank you for listening. We are just over halfway through the first notebook, and I hope you will continue to listen to my mother's story.